you are officially invited into the fifth episode of Not a Wine Drinker. Hello, thank you so much for being here. I hope you are having a fantastic week. <laughs> I am your host, Amy, and we are discussing vampire movies. Before we get into the movie of the week, I do want to apologize that I did not get this out last week, so I did skip a week, but we are here now. Thank you so much for waiting patiently, because now we're going to talk about the 2004 action flick directed by Steven Summers, Van Helsing, the movie that reminded me of so many other movies. <laughs> uh, some of it deliberately, some of it maybe not so deliberately, even right at the very first line. So you open up and it's uh, you're right in the middle of the Frankenstein story. It is very, very similar to the original Universal Frankenstein movie. You even have Dr. Frankenstein, his opening line is, it's alive, it's alive, which everyone knows. Although growing up on Mel Brooks movies, uh, it didn't remind me of the Universal Frankenstein. It reminded me of Gene Wilder saying that in Young Frankenstein, which also is obviously an homage to the Universal one. So right away, you're put in the middle of the Frankenstein story, follows very closely to the original Universal story where the villagers are coming with their pitchforks and torches and they're very angry and, and Dr. Frankenstein is killed and the monster runs into a windmill and the villagers burn the windmill. What is different about the story is that now you have Dracula there as well and he is the one who kills Dr. Frankenstein uh, because he wanted the monster for his own purposes, which we'll find out why later. And also, um, I don't really want to say Frankenstein's monster or the monster the whole time, so I'm going to give him a name, and I'm going to name him after his creator, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. So I'm going to call him Shelley. So uh, so Dracula had wanted Shelley, but Shelley ran away, so Dracula wasn't able to get him. But he did acquire a toady in Igor, who betrayed Dr. Frankenstein, and goes to help Dracula instead. So then you switch to a year later and you see Van Helsing, our protagonist. He is battling against Mr. Hyde. And even though Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are from London, they are now in France for some reason. And they're in a tower with big bells. So I think that's supposed to be a nod to the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So Van Helsing kills Mr. Hyde. And then unfortunately in death, he turns back to Dr. Jekyll. So he just looks like a human. So everyone thinks he's a murderer. Van Helsing then goes to the Vatican, and lo and behold, the Vatican has this whole super secret organization that fights against monsters. The inspiration for this is that the director wanted this to kind of have the feel of a James Bond movie, and that's most apparent, I feel, in this scene where you have the Cardinal who kind of acts as M, the boss of James Bond, and you've obviously Van Helsing is supposed to be the, like the James Bond character, and then you also have the friar, uh, Friar Carl, who acts kind of like Q, who makes all the cool little gadgets that James Bond gets to use. And at the end of the scene, there's a line that reminded me of another movie. When Carl, uh, the friar, is told that he's going to go out in the field with Van Helsing, and he goes, but I'm not a field man. And it totally sounded like the son in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where he's like, but I don't want to marry the princess. Oh, I just want to sing. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if that was delivered or not, but I kind of feel like it might be because there's another much more obvious Python, Monty Python reference later on. Uh, this is after Van Helsing has met Anna Valerius, 
her family has been trying to kill Dracula for uh, generations. And at one point, Anna says, we Transylvanians always look on the bright side of death. I mean, come on, that has to be a reference to the life of Brian's song, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. <laughs> I mean, why else would they have her say that? So yeah, Van Helsing's assignment was, is to go to Transylvania to help the Valerius family defeat Dracula. So he goes to the village where Anna Valerius is, and at first they're all suspicious of him, but lo and behold, there come some monsters to distract them. The monsters are the three brides of Dracula, and there's a big fight scene. There's a cow get, that gets thrown, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I just want the cow to be okay. And whoo, at the end of the scene, the cow is fine. <laughs> so, And Van Helsing does end up killing one of the brides by the end of this scene. Then it was kind of reminded me of like a D&D campaign where like a new character comes in and shows that he can fight. So they're like, okay, you're okay by me. <laughs> so Anna kind of accepts him. But Anna has a secret because she has a brother named Velkin and he has been turned into a werewolf. So we get another universal monster here, the wolf man. This werewolf comes and turns back into her brother and tells Anna, you know, is starting to tell Anna like some secrets and then he ends up turning back into the werewolf again before he can say anything and he has to leave. And there's also scenes where you go back to see Dracula talking with his brides. And the main things that stick out to me is when Dracula is like, I don't feel any emotions. I don't feel happiness. And, he, and meanwhile, he is displaying a huge emotion. He is very angry. So yes, he does feel emotions, which, yeah, a little contradictory there. Also, I love the fact that he's wearing a banana clip in his hair. Like, do they have banana clips back then? Like, were they... Was that like in fashion at at that time in Transylvania? Like I just I could not stop looking at his banana clip. <laughs> oh, and also uh, we have with Dracula we have uh, some other creatures that aren't uh, original Universal creatures. They're called Dwergi, Dwergi, something like that. And there are these like little little men who don't show any skin or faces. They're all covered up. I couldn't really find too much about them. It seems that they come from. Uh, German dwarf mythology, but there's not much lore to them other than they help out Dracula. And I know that Deep Roy plays one of them. And uh, if you don't know Deep Roy, he is from the movie. The, I mean, he's in a lot of movies, but I know him from The Neverending Story, and he was awesome. And he also uh, does a lot of stunts in a lot of other movies. Oh, and he was also in. Um, uh, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He played all of the Oompa Loompas. So that was cool to see that he was in this as well. So then you finally find out why Dracula wanted Shelley. It's because when he and his brides mate, they produce these sacks. I don't even know what to call them, but um, his children. But because vampires are dead, uh, the children are born dead. So they need a source of life to animate them. And Shelley is a great source of life. So he would be able to animate all of Dracula's kids. He's been trying to use werewolves instead, and they don't quite work. So at one point, Van Helsing and Anna had gone to fight with Dracula. They didn't win, and they ended up falling down into the earth. And lo and behold, there's Shelly, <laughs> our favorite monster. All Shelly is trying to do is hide because he knows that Dracula wants him. So he doesn't want anyone to know of his existence. He just wants to live in peace and have everyone think that he is no longer there so that Dracula doesn't get wind of him. But unfortunately, that's not what happens. And 
they bring Shelly with them. And then, of course, Dracula finds out that Shelly is there and he tries to steal Shelly. But they try to get Shelly back to the Vatican. It's this great scene where Van Helsing Helsing is uh, driving a carriage. You think that Shelly is in the carriage and then one of the brides attacks and she gets the carriage and realizes that there's nothing in there but a bomb boop uh and then it's anna who has the carriage with shelly in it but even that plan doesn't work shelly gets captured now they have to rescue him as well as try and save anna's brother who is now turning more and more werewolfy and now van helsing has been bitten by him so now he's going to become into so now he's going to turn into a werewolf and they have to stop dracula so there's like so many plot points going on Oh, and then there's this great scene uh, at a ball where they were going to do an exchange with, um, who are they exchanging? Was it Anna? Uh, I think uh, they were going to do an exchange. I think it was between Anna and Shelly. Uh, it opens up right away. You've got all these like, um, this great masquerade ball and you have all these circus folks. And right away, there's this one woman who's like balanced on a ball and she's holding one of her legs up behind her head. All I could think was, oh my goodness, I hope they got that in one take so that she didn't have to hold it that long because oh, if that took like a lot of takes, that would she would be exhausted. And there was also a, a singer who comes out, this opera singer, and she starts singing. And I was like, oh, is she supposed to be kind of reminiscent of the opera singer in The Fifth Element? Because it reminded me of that. Uh, and then it turns out that everyone in the ball were also vampires. And it's just like, wait, where where did all these vampires come from? <laughs> How, when did they get turned? Were they all turned by Dracula? Or they just are there? And why have they never attacked anyone else? Uh, I don't know. It's not quite clear. Again, there's just so much going on in this movie you just you just got to go with it (laughs) and then finally with fire carl's help anna and van helsing figure out how to get to dracula's castle because that was kind of a puzzle so then they start fighting again and another movie that i was reminded of that some of the dorgy uh fall into a vat that seems to be like a vat of acid or something so of course i think batman when the joker falls into a vat of acid but i don't think they were coming out of that vat so all the different strings of the plots are finally coming together they have to get the cure for when someone is turning into a werewolf for Van Helsing, but he has to kill Dracula before he can get the cure. Uh, there was going to be one other universal creature in this movie. They were going to have the creature of the Black Lagoon uh, guarding the cure, but that was taken out in a later script. So there's so many things going on. They have to get the cure to turn Van Helsing back from a werewolf. They have to rescue Shelley so that... Dracula's creatures don't all become alive and take over because there's like thousands of them and they have to kill Dracula once and for all. So there's a lot going on in this climax and they do end up being able to do all of these things. But in the process, Anna is killed. So it's bittersweet because uh, her and Van Helsing were starting to have a little romance thing. But now she is reunited with her family. Oh, and you see Shelley on a raft. He waves back to Van Helsing. That could be a reference to, in the original novel, the creature does go up to uh, the Arctic Circle. So maybe that's where Shelley is headed so he can be alone. And then Van Helsing is ready to go on his next adventure. And the music that's playing at the end of this, again, reminded me of a different movie. It really sounded like Raiders of the Lost Ark to me. Even though that is John Williams and the composer of the music for this movie was Alan Silvestri. Very prolific composer. But 
did not do the Indiana Jones movies. And there was some music earlier that also reminded me of music from Dracula the Musical. So it made me wonder if Alan Silvestri had gotten some inspiration from that. This movie was supposed to kickstart a franchise of all the classic Universal monsters, which is why you have the different storylines connecting between Frankenstein and Dracula and um, the Wolfman. And like I said earlier, there was going to be Creature of the Black Lagoon, but he was taken out. They actually thought that like this was going to be the start of a whole franchise and they had already gotten a second movie ready. They thought they were going to be reusing the sets that they had used ready. And then this didn't do too well. So they had to scrap everything. Um, in terms of casting, what I really like about this movie is that so many of the cast members have been connected to Broadway or um, musical theater. So, and two of them I've actually seen on Broadway. One, Hugh Jackman, when he was in The Boy From Oz. Oh, oh my God. Like, if you ever get a chance to see Hugh Jackman live, whew, like that that's where I first saw him, like even before the X-Men movies. Even though the X-Men movies had come out already, I hadn't seen them, but I saw him in The Boy From Oz and you just can't take your eyes off of him. He's just so charismatic and just so in control in this, on stage. It's just, he's amazing. I also saw uh, Shuler Hensley, who plays Shelley in this, the monster, and funnily enough, he played the monster as well on stage um, in the musical version of Young Frankenstein. So uh, that was cool. And I didn't get to see him, but Alan Armstrong, um, the actor who played the Cardinal in this movie, he was in the original London version of Les Miserables. He played, oh, he played Tenardier. <laughs> and though I didn't get to see it, that recording was what I listened to all the time so I heard his voice um so many times uh and he's great as Tenardier and there's a little um connection there between him and Hugh Jackman because then Hugh Jackman was in the movie version of Les Mis he played Jean Valjean and we also have uh Will Kemp who plays Vilcan Valerius the brother of Anna he is actually a trained ballerina and he was in Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake, which if you don't know this version of Swan Lake, like you should go out and seek it. It is so good. And I'm actually, I, I can't remember if I saw this or not, but he did play the, the main swan in Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake. So yay for having all these Broadway actors. Hi, slightly more in the future Amy here. I just wanted to interject that I talked with my mom, who used to be a ballerina, and she schooled me on the fact that male ballet dancers are not called ballerinas. They are, in fact, called dancers, although it's spelled D-A-N-S-E-U-R, which I'm guessing is the French spelling for it. Also, I did not, in fact, see Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake. I think uh, my mom was just so excited about it, and she had posters of it around the house that I just in my youth just blurred the memory and thought I had gone as well. <laughs> um, and uh, one final note, I realized I did say that they're all Broadway actors, which technically not all of the actors that I mentioned were on Broadway, but they were all on prestigious stages. So they're still really cool. And then uh, for Anna Valerius, 
they originally did want Kate Beckinsale, but she had just come from doing Underworld. So they were afraid that, you know, because that's also a vampire movie, she plays, she actually plays a vampire in that movie. Uh, they thought that she wouldn't really be interested in this, but she did get a hold of the script. And once she did, she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do want to do this. Uh, unfortunately for her with costuming, huh, I mean, right away when I saw her in that corset, I was like, oh, of course, like this must have been made by men because you don't run in corsets. You don't fight in corsets like they're. That's not what they're made for, but that's what they made her do in this movie. And she said, like, by the end of the movie, she wanted to burn that thing, which, yeah, I totally understand. Like, don't put women in corsets if they have to, like, do anything other than stand there. <laughs> um, because it's, it's smushing everything, so it makes it really hard to breathe. And this movie also brought together two people. So Sylvia Coloca, uh, who played one of the brides of Dracula, and Richard Roxburgh, who played Dracula, they met on the set and fell in love and they ended up getting married, which is so cute. And in their story, uh, Sylvia even said that like the first thing that she said to him was, hi, I'm Sylvia. I'm your Italian bride, meaning the character, but it ended up becoming true later on, <laughs> which is so cute. So, so that's awesome because uh, because Richard Roxburgh did get a lot of flack for his portrayal of Dracula. He even won a Stinkers Award for Worst Fake Accent. And I was like, what is a Stinkers Award? Is that like a knockoff Razzie? But no, it turns out the, the Stinkers, which are very similar to the Razzies, if you know what the Razzies are, the Stinkers Awards came first. So his portrayal of Dracula might not have been the best, but at least he got a wife out of it. So good for him. And then one of the other brides is played by Josie Moran. And when I was looking up her bio, it said that she has started a cosmetics company. And I was like, wait a second. And I look over and I have Josie Moran body cream sitting right there. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's the same person? <laughs> my sister-in-law loves her stuff and she always gifts me um, some of her stuff. So I thought that was kind of funny that uh, I didn't even realize that... Um, the makeup is from an actor who was in a movie that I just saw. <laughs> so the lore, there is, oh my goodness, there is so much lore going on in this movie. And obviously lore of different creatures, uh, different monsters, but because this is a vampire podcast, we'll focus on the vampire lore. So we have Dracula in this, the most famous vampire. Right away, even in the very beginning, um, you see that he's not harmed by fire. He's not harmed by being impaled, and that he can transform into this bat demon gargoyle-ish creature. <laughs> they never explain, they never say quite what it, what that creature is supposed to be, but it's just vampire transformations. Uh, and later on, you see the three brides of Dracula, and they can also transform. So it's not just something that Dracula can do. It's something that all vampires can do. And also, when you do first see the brides, it's they're out in daylight. And I was like, wait, so I guess sunlight doesn't hurt them. But no, it was because there were clouds that they were able to be out there. Once the clouds cleared, they had to seek shelter. So they just can't be in direct sunlight. But scattered sunlight is okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that was kind of interesting that clouds are uh, enough of a cover for them. You also have vampire children, which you don't usually see in most of their movies. And they went a very interesting route because vampires are dead, that the children are born dead, but they're born in these like sacks and they don't they don't quite explain the, the birthing process. It's just you just see these hanging sacks and they need a source of life to become animated. 
Yeah, and they start off as the gargoyleish creatures that the other that the adult vampires are able to turn into. So I guess they will become more human-like as they grow older. Also, uh, vampires don't have reflections, and that is very much used in the masquerade scene where there's a huge mirror and Anna looks and even though she's dancing with Dracula, all she can see is herself. And I didn't even realize this, but you also can't see any of the other guests in that mirror. So that was supposed to be a clue that all of them are vampires, but I had missed that the first go around. Um, although earlier in the scene, there's a wider shot where you, you do see everyone reflected in the, in the mirrors. So that's a little mistake there that they forgot to take out all the reflections. And the last big piece of lore that we get is that Dracula can only be killed by a werewolf. Like, how do they figure this out? <laughs> like, how did he know that that is the only thing that could kill him? And he's also able to control vampires, but only after the first full moon, after they've been bitten. So there's only like this like small grace period where the werewolf would have enough awareness to be able to fight against Dracula before he is then uh, basically a slave of Dracula. So that helps to heighten the climax of this movie where Van Helsing, who's been bitten and is turning into a werewolf, only has a very specific amount of time where he can kill Dracula, but then receive the cure before he uh, is permanently a werewolf. He's got like between the first chime of midnight and the last chime of midnight. And I thought that all those chimes happen within the first minute, but the fight lasts way longer than a minute. So <laughs> I don't know if that was deliberate or if they just were taking poetic license with that. But so, yeah, he does kill Dracula as a werewolf. And presumably all other vampires are killed when Dracula is killed uh, because Van Helsing leaves without having to deal with like all those vampires that were at the masquerade ball. So I guess they were then killed. I don't know. Or maybe he just didn't see them as much of a threat. Or maybe, you know, his assignment was to kill Dracula, so he didn't care about the other vampires. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, and another interesting piece of lore. It has nothing to do with Dracula, but a theory of who Van Helsing is, because his past is very much a mystery, is that he is actually an angel. What points to that is, one, he is very, very, very long-lived, and he doesn't age. And two, his name is Gabriel. Uh, they changed his first name from Abraham to, uh, in the book Dracula, it's Abraham Van Helsing, uh, to Gabriel Van Helsing. The director said that was because he didn't think someone with the first name Abraham would be able to carry the movie. Uh, I guess that's not a very action person's name. I don't know. I think Abraham is a perfectly great name but he didn't seem to like it. So he changed the name to Gabriel and Gabriel is an angel. Uh, he's the, uh, the right hand of God. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a good theory. I like it. So what did you think of this movie? Did you enjoy it? Did, uh, did it remind you of any other movies that I might have not have seen the reference for? Let me know. Please, please like, subscribe, share among all your friends, family, acquaintances, frenemies, and even that one person who you have nothing in common to talk with, so you can tell them about the show. <laughs> it's a good icebreaker. And wine, boo, but coffee, yay! So if you want to help support this little podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash notawinedrinker and give uh, what you can. Okay, thank you so much for staying with me. And if you've stayed this long, you know that you get to hear what next week's movie is. And I thought I would go um, animated since I haven't done that before. So next week's movie is going to be 
Hotel Transylvania. Until next time, remember, always look on the bright side of death. (laughs) Okay, bye.